Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Lizard Wellbeing Show, the podcast that brings you weekly wellness wisdom that you can trust. And as ever, we have enjoyed reading more of your comments. Hello to Heather, who left this feedback on social media. It reads, Thank you, Liz and team, for exploring everything associated with the menopause. I am 50 and have gone through the menopause, but your podcast has educated me and I'm going to go to the GP and ask for HRT. My husband and I can't wait. Love all your podcasts and look forward to listening to them each week. Thank you. Well, thank you, Heather. I hope your GP appointment went well, if you got one, and I hope that you and your husband get some benefit. Well, if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to share your views, then please do leave a comment. You can find me on social media. I am at Lizelle Me or my team are at Lizelle Wellbeing and you can leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll read them out. Doing that really helps other people to find us also and of course to benefit from all the wonderful expert advice from many of my guests. Well, before we get on to today's topic, I just wanted to draw your attention to a major recent study published in America, which found traces of the weed killer ingredient glyphosate. We've talked about this before. This has been linked to cancer and they found traces of this in more than 80% of urine samples taken from adults and children. Yeah, 80%, 80%. Well, the report is by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, otherwise known as the CDC, and scientists have been calling the findings that find that most of us have glyphosate in our we as both, quote, disturbing and concerning. Well, glyphosate is the active ingredient that's sold in herbicides around the world, including famously in the Roundup brand. And this study is all the more reason why we do need to reduce the use of this weed killer and choose organic wheat crops when buying food, for example, organic pasta, breads and cakes, etc. And also use organic flours where we can in baking. Well, if you want to hear more about this topic, then please do seek out a podcast episode that I did with the brilliant Patrick Holden. We talked about sustainable and regenerative agriculture. It is a really good listen. And actually, I'm off this evening to an event organised by the Pesticide Action Group, who are campaigning for a pesticide-free London here, amongst other places. And you can check out their work. They're a really good organisation. Their website is pan-uk.org. That's pan, as in Pesticide Action Network pan-uk.org. 
org. Now on to today's episode and we are talking about our body's largest organ. It covers an average of two square metres and has three layers. It helps to regulate our body temperature and it's our first line of defence against the outside world. A barrier to everything from irritants to allergens. Can you guess? Yes, it is, of course, our skin. And my guest is the renowned dermatologist, Dr. Stephanie Williams, who's also the medical director of Udello Dermatology and Skin Wellbeing, an award-winning clinic for cosmetic dermatology and aesthetic medicine. She is also a talented fine artist, merging her medical experience into art. Fascinating. It's going to be a great chat about many things. So, Dr. Stephanie Williams, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Liz. Well, there's so much to talk about, but I think let's start with the basics, really, because the skin is such a complex organ. We often don't think about it as an organ, but of course it is an organ of the body and it plays so many different roles. And is that really why it's so important that we look after it properly? Yes, indeed. So it is our largest organ and the skin is not only vital for our general health, but really also our psychological well-being. So if you think, for example, about the connection of acne breakouts and depression, how our skin looks and feels has a massive influence on how we feel within ourselves. Mm, absolutely. How did you get into skin? Did you do general medical training and then specialize in dermatology? Yes, that's right. So you have to study medicine first, um, which I did in Germany. And at medical school, I was actually really interested in neurology. So my doctoral thesis at the time was on Parkinson's disease. But then towards the end of my degree, I realized that my real passion was really dermatology rather than neurology. Because what I really love about dermatology is that you see the entire spectrum of the population from newborns to the elderly. And you can diagnose most skin conditions with the naked eye rather than having to rely on uh, heavy technology, which would take you away from the patient. And dermatology is also a very, very visual specialty, which I really love. And of course, you can make a huge difference in people's lives, much more than I felt I was able to do in neurology. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, that you talk about the the psychological impact, particularly of, of skin conditions. And I've seen this over many, many years with my own work that when you see particularly young people with really chronic acute acne, everything about them changes. Their heads lower, they cover their head with the fringe, they look down, they're not going to stand up straight and look you in the eye. And it's so debilitating and my heart breaks, particularly for youngsters. Frankly, life is tough enough at that age without having to deal with, you know, a volcanic mess on your face. Mm, you're absolutely right. And I see that in clinic very often that when I first see, whether it's a teenager, uh, even more so for teenagers, but also adult uh, women with breakouts, that they don't really have as much eye contact. They look down and they, they just, you can feel the energy is, is just very low. And then, you know, when I see them back after three months or so and their skin starts to clear and all of a sudden they've got a completely different demeanor, the energy changes, they look up, they look <laughs> at you and with teenagers, yeah. that's often the first time that they actually speak to me, oh. which is lovely. 
It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I I have a, an issue with eczema, and I mean, you know, it's an inherited condition, or my children have it, but it's mostly on my arms. And if I do get a flare, then I can I can cover my arms. But of course, if something's on your face, you know, you can't go around with a paper bag on your head. So it it is, as you say, it's it's very debilitating. And you went on to start up your own clinic in London. I talked about Udello, the dermatology and skin well being. What did you set out to do specifically with your own clinic? So when I came to England, so I did my dermatology training still in Germany. And then I came to England because I married an Englishman, as it happens. And I first started to work in the NHS. And I was really quite shocked how much firefighting there was rather than really looking after people as such. So after a few years, years in the NHS, I felt a bit disillusioned and that I couldn't really give patients the care I wanted to. Like, for example, if we speak about acne and breakouts, it's so important to speak about the skincare and lifestyle and supplements and all of those factors that there's just simply no time and no money to speak about in the NHS. So in, I think it was end of 2007, between Christmas and New Year, (laughs) I made the decision to set up my own clinic. That's a classic time. So many decisions seem to be made between that little window, that break when we change and everything stops. And I guess we have a chance to think maybe. Very much so. So beginning of then 2008, I started to see patients privately. And what I love about this is that I can really provide the care that I want to give them. It's also very different in England compared to in Germany, that here, of course, you need a GP referral Uh, to see a dermatologist. And as soon as you're a little bit better, we are forced to discharge you back to your GP. Whereas I really enjoy seeing the patient long term and seeing the whole patient, the whole family maybe, and looking after them and really getting to know them and, and, and building a relationship with them. So I really enjoy that kind of way of working much more than I did in the NHS, to be fair. I think my regular listeners will have heard us talk about this before with many medics. And it was recently described by a former NHS consultant as it's not the National Health Service, it's actually the National Illness Service. And it it does acute medicine really well. You know, if you really need, you've got that trauma, you've got that acute condition, fantastic, it's going to help fix you. But it doesn't actually look at symptoms and causes and actually create that pathway to wellness and well-being in the beginning, which I guess is why we're seeing so many people like yourselves. I'm really interested to hear that you've got that medical background, that NHS background, but you've chosen to set up something separately that can have a more holistic approach. And we're hearing that more and more, for example, with functional medicine doctors, as you say, looking at things like lifestyle and supplements in particular. What kind of supplements do you consider essential then for the skin? Well, it really depends on the whole patient. So one thing I always recommend is vitamin D. And usually I recommend a D3 supplement. Uh, It's very important for our general health, for our skin health, for our mental health even. And if you want to slow down the aging process in the skin, then we have to wear SPF on a daily basis. There's just no way around that. But then, of course, you know, the sun is important for vitamin D generation So for that reason, I always recommend all of my patients who use SPF daily to take a vitamin D supplement. That's the first one. And then 
often it depends on their skin condition. So for example, somebody with rosacea, where their skin feels dry and very sensitive, but we can't put very much nourishing skincare from the outside because that would make the rosacea worse. So often for that patient group, I might recommend a collagen and hyaluronic acid supplement to help hydrating from the inside. Or uh, also for these chronic inflammatory conditions, I often recommend anti-inflammatory supplements. I've got one I really like called Cytocalm, which is a mix of turmeric and other natural anti-inflammatories. Oh, I was just about to ask whether turmeric came into that. I mean, turmeric, oh my goodness, over the years, what we've learned about that in terms of helping to bring down inflammation is extraordinary, isn't it? Mm, yes, it's one of my favourites for sure. Mm. So what are the most common problems that people come to see you with? So we do offer both medical dermatology and cosmetic dermatology. And within the medical side of uh, things, we see a lot of patients with adult breakouts like acne and rosacea. Mole checks is also a very common request. And cosmetically, I would say that the most common wish is to improve skin quality and texture. So people want a healthy glow with refined skin surface so they can go out without makeup. We've thankfully come away from chasing lines and wrinkles in the last few years. (laughs) And people just really want to look fresh and want to look their personal best, whatever their age. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I know that there was such a trend and let's face it, there still is for Botox and fillers and all of that. But actually what those things do, although they're very good at at smoothing the face and smoothing out lines, but they don't create a healthy glow, do they? So we we need to take a little bit more of a a broader approach, perhaps, if we want to get the actual glow back into Mm. our skin. Yes, that's right. I mean, they still have an important place and they do look very natural unless they're overdone or wrongly done. Yes. <laughs> so I definitely wouldn't yeah. say that they do, they're not important anymore in cosmetic dermatology, but you're absolutely right. If we just use those corrective treatments, then we're really missing out on the skin quality and the skin surface. And that is one of the three columns, really, we have to look at. So lines and wrinkles is one of the columns, yes, but getting less and less important, I feel rightly so. Second column is the skin surface and skin quality and skin health, of course. And then the third column is the the volume and the contour of the face. So if we, uh, when we assess somebody at Udello, we look at all of these three columns and see where the skin might need a little bit of support. Mm, Interesting. Do you see certain groups of people more than others? For example, I'm presuming that you see more women than men and in particular certain age groups, maybe? Uh, Yes, we definitely see more women, although I feel that men are slowly catching up with wanting to look after their skin. Yeah, Um, but when they see the difference it makes, actually... (laughs) Yes. You know, it's it's a kind of like, well, why not? Why wouldn't you? you yeah, know, absolutely. Take some simple steps, you know, particularly for things like breakouts. You talked about breakouts earlier. It's not just an adolescent problem, is it? It does seem to afflict many in later life. Is that because it's always hormonally driven? Yes, for sure. It's up to 50% of adult women are reported to still suffer with breakouts. So it's very common in teenagers, of course, but it's by no means a teenage problem solely. And there are two main reasons why adults might suffer with breakouts. That's acne and rosacea. They can look quite similar, but they do actually need a different treatment. 
And they both are chronic skin conditions and they both have a genetic component and of course a hormonal component as well. But in addition to this genetic predisposition, there are also certain lifestyle factors like stress. And we've had a, quite a lot of that, of course, recently. The wrong type of skin care, not cleansing your skin properly. All of these things can make those conditions worse. So they all should be taken into consideration and discussed during a consultation. Mm. Can we talk practically with some help and some pointers for people who may be experiencing acne and I think what's known as acne rosacea, although as you say, they, they are not linked, they are different conditions. So if we look perhaps at acne first, what you might say is the first, the first line of action really, because I think the key thing is always to prevent it from getting out of control and causing scarring. Yes, very important. So early treatment is, is very, very important. So the message is really that you shouldn't soldier through it by yourself because there is help available. It is a treatable condition. If it's mild and if it's not scarring, then I think it's reasonable to try an over-the-counter approach first. So you might try a skincare containing maybe retinoids, so vitamin A derivatives or polyhydroxy acids, or if you've got quite oily skin, it might be alpha hydroxy acids, AHAs. But then if after three to maximum six months, your skin hasn't improved with that over-the-counter regime, then I would strongly recommend to see a doctor, ideally a dermatologist, but of course that might not be possible. So you see your GP in that case and they might prescribe you initially prescription creams. So that could be, for example, prescription strength anti-inflammatory creams. Or if it's more severe, they might prescribe tablets such as acne antibiotics, or they may refer you to a dermatology unit for a treatment with oral retinoids. Mm -hmm. So these are, I know that we'll come on in part two actually and talk about specific skincare ingredients, including retinoids, because they are a fascinating group of skin ingredients. But you can take them orally, can you, on prescription as well as having them applied topically? Yes, that's right. So there's a large variety of topical retinoids available. And then uh, the main oral one we use for acne contains an ingredient called isotretinoin, Many people will know this under the brand name or one of the brand names, Roaccutin or Accutin in the US, which has been around for a long time. And there is some degree of controversy around it. But the way we prescribe it now, which is a much, much lower dose, is very different from the old way of prescribing it and usually very well tolerated and yeah, I mean, the, one of the main controversies around it uh, was the question about mental health, uh, in particular, depression connection. But there now have been quite a lot of meta studies even to look at all of the studies that are out there that mostly concluded that there's no connection to depression. And if that happens, that's a, a very unfortunate outlier, but there's no fundamentally no connection. And in fact, a lot of patients, I see that myself, who attend with severe acne and who may feel depressed about the state of their skin and their influence on, on their daily life actually have often experienced a lifting of their depression. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> getting something to sort out your skin is actually going to ease potentially the symptoms of depression. I remember seeing 
a friend of my daughter's at school. She must have been maybe about 16 and she had really terrible acne covering most of her face and it was clearly having a major psychological impact and it was a sports match so I was chatting to her mum on the sidelines and she obviously knew me and my background and she said oh we know Liz we're doing everything we can and we've changed her diet and we've taken her off sugar she never eats chocolate and you know she's having some herbs and I just looked at her and I said you need to go straight to a doctor and likelihood, you know, get antibiotics and some Roaccutane. And she looked at me, she said, I can't believe you're saying this. I thought you were all into sort of natural treatments. And I said, well, you know, it's horses for courses. And what you don't want to do is end up with lifelong scarring. And you've just got to fix it. And sometimes you've just got to go in and kind of nuke the problem and then address lifestyle alongside that. But, you know, I don't think it should be an either or, do you? No, I completely agree. At the end of the day, it's a skin disease. I mean, what other potentially scarring facial skin disease would you accept without hurrying to the doctor and starting treatment as soon as possible? And and you're right, that can be done alongside looking at nutrition and of skincare course, yeah. and all of this. But it's not, I think we have to really come away from this notion of acne as a rite of passage it really is not. It's a potentially scarring skin disease affecting your face. So for everybody to see, and it has to be treated early for sure. Mm. So what about diet then? What about my friend who, you know, took her daughter off all sugars and, you know, and was kind of in the belief that that would be enough? I mean, is it a part of it? People talk a lot about sugar triggering inflammation generally in the body as well as obviously in the skin. If it is really severe acne, like you're describing in your friend's daughter, then I think the a change of diet and skincare won't cut it, to be honest. Yes, diet is important. And if you've got mild acne, sugar is certainly something you want to look at. Plus also refined carbohydrates, because as soon as you eat them, they're cut down into sugar molecules in your body. Um, so those are certainly things you want to try and reduce. With regards to fats, there's a little bit of confusion there because fats don't usually make acne worse. So if you have good fats like nuts, avocados, oily fish, that's not a problem at all. But if you have poorly unsaturated fats, they can be pro-inflammatory and I generally recommend to reduce those. Interesting. So we're talking things like seed oils. Yes, exactly. Exactly that, yes. And vegetables is, of course, always good because of the Mm -hmm. (laughs) anti-inflammatories they contain. Good quality meat and fish is also not a problem for your skin. So, yeah, those are the general rules. And then with regards to dairy, there are some people who respond to dairy, but it's not everybody. So I wouldn't say that everybody should automatically cut out dairy. Interestingly, there, there was a study that found that skim milk has more of a potential to aggravate acne compared to full fat milk. Wow, isn't that interesting? Is that because it doesn't have the protective beneficial fats in it? Yeah, so it's also higher in sugar. So I'm not sure why that is, but interesting. I always say to my patients, you know, good organic full fat milk in moderation. But if they have the suspicion that is connected, then by all means, try it. Maybe have almond milk instead for for a couple of months, see whether it makes any difference. But if it doesn't make a difference, then 
by all means, just go back to it in moderation. I don't think it's a general problem. And what about moving on to rosacea? sometimes called acne rosacea, but the two conditions aren't linked, are they? Mm. Well, they belong to the same family of conditions, but they're not the same. Rosacea is can look quite similar. So people can also have the spots and pimples, breakouts. But in addition, they often have what we call vascular changes. So the skin might be flushing, coming and going, or they might have a fixed redness of the skin, a background redness, or they might have broken vessels around the nose or cheek area. And rosacea typically starts midlife. So while acne often starts in teenage years, rosacea only comes up later. So typically in your 30s, 40s, that's a kind of typical starting point for rosacea. And then so what's to... triggering that then? Because that's not necessarily a time of great hormonal change, is it? Like teenage years or perimenopause? Yeah, so there's a lot of contributing factors. And the main thing, again, is genetic. But then there's other factors that are um, involved as well. So sometimes there's an overgrowth of a mite called demodex on the skin, which we all have, but that might be overgrowing on rosacea sufferers and rosacea sufferers might be reacting to one of the byproducts this mite produces, which is contributing to the inflammation in the skin. Hormones can play a role, but not as much, I would say, as with teenage acne. Lifestyle factors play a big role as well. So the sun tends to make rosacea worse and certain foods can make rosacea worse, like for example, spicy hot food or certain types of alcohol. Often it's red wine. Sauna tends to make it worse, like heat coming into a hot room. So it's, it's a whole mix of contributing factors. But but the main thing again is, uh, and skincare, of course, again here, but the main thing is really a, a genetic predisposition. And so what would the first line of treatment if somebody with rosacea came to see you, what would you be recommending for them? So it has to be a two-step process. So first we have to treat the breakouts, which we call the inflammatory lesions, so spots and pimples and bumps and little kind of red blotches. And that would be typically an anti-inflammatory prescription cream. Often these creams have two effects. They also are topical antibiotics, but we actually prescribe them because of their anti-inflammatory benefits. And then if, depending on the type of rosacea they present with, we might prescribe a cream that also reduces the mite concentration on the skin containing an ingredient called um, ivermectin. And once the inflammatory lesions are cleared, only then can we look after the vascular component. So then we might do a course of laser or IPL to reduce the redness and the broken vessels in the skin. Mm, I wanted to ask you about whether lasers and LED light played a part in your clinic, because my daughter Lily actually has a an LED mask. She has a company called Cell Return. And I've looked at some of the medical studies related to that, because before she got involved with it, I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, she was doing the right thing, frankly, and that, and that it was good and sound. And the technology just seems extraordinary. What's, what's your experience? Experience of LED and lasers? Yeah, so for the broken vessels, a vascular laser or IPL um, tends to work best. We do use LED in clinic as well, but we would use it more for um, anti-inflammatory effects, or which might be a red light, or for antibacterial effects in acne, for example, which is more kind of blue LED light. So they've got a slightly different 
position in what we do in clinic. Mm, extraordinary. And lasers just seem to be capable of doing, frankly, almost anything <laughs> from my experience. <laughs> yes, there certainly seems to be a laser yes. for, for each condition or for a lot of conditions. So you've got, uh, depending on the wavelengths they are emitting, they might have water as a target structure, for example, which means that they ablate the skin. And we use that for anti-aging or scarring treatment, for example, and then there are the ones that have hemoglobin as their target structure. So hemoglobin is the red coloring in our blood, in the erythrocytes. And those types of lasers, they are able to shrink broken vessels, for example, and reduce redness in the skin. So it depends very much what wavelengths we use, but uh, lasers are very versatile, yes. Yeah, no, big, big fan, big fan personally. Well, we'll take a break in a moment and come back and talk specifically about skincare ingredients because that is such a fascinating subject and so much has changed in recent years and it can be a real minefield if you're not aware of some of the technical terms, but also very enlightening actually as to some of the amazing things that are out there available even over the counter. But before we do that, I just wanted to touch on an added dimension to your work. And I mentioned in the intro that you are a fine artist. You've just completed a master's degree in fine art. And I've seen your work. It's incredible. It brings in your medical experience. What was the driving force to, you're obviously very successful in dermatology and with your clinics, to then decide to, that you wanted to retrain and, and become a fine artist? Uh, yes, it was. It, was uh, it might sound kind of coming out of nowhere, but in fact, I always loved art. And when I was in the process of deciding which A-levels to take at the time, I did actually want to do art. And my art teacher at the time strongly encouraged me to do so. But of course, my well-meaning parents said, oh, don't do art. So I ended up doing sciences and then studying medicine. But then fast forward 30 years, I thought if I don't do it now, it won't happen. So I was in my 50s. So I did put, decided to put together a portfolio, apply, and was really thrilled that I was accepted for a master's course, which was always my dream, really. That's wonderful. And I love that, that you started in your 50s with a completely different area of work. I mean, it's, although, of course, some would say, well, you work in aesthetics as a doctor, and art is, of course, aesthetic. So I guess there that is, is a connection true. there, there too. There is definitely a connection there. But I have to say that when I started my course two years ago, I was I was literally like a rabbit in, in front of the headlights. It was all completely <laughs> new to me, going back to university. I had to sometimes secretly write down words and expressions that I had to look up because I had no idea what they're talking about because I was completely lacking the vocabulary. But then two years later, I now just passed and not only passed, I actually got a distinction. And oh, amazing. Well I'm done. I'm absolutely thrilled. Mm. And you do use a lot of medicine matters in your subjects. Is, is that right to say that? Uh, yes, I do work at the interface of art and science. My work overall, I would say, is quite conceptual. So I do use kind of quasi-clinical imaging techniques sometimes, uh, like, for example, far-infrared photography I work with. I use a lot of mixed media as well, in which I might integrate some found medical objects. And when I started the course, I was mainly interested in looking at the body and identity. But then in, over the past two years, I got really interested in 
the concept of state power and control. And my graduation project was, in fact, on surveillance. So I was kind of moving a little bit into a different direction of, of what I was looking at with my art. Yeah, I've seen one of the pictures on your website, which is a whole series of syringes that looks almost like a, a sunbeam. And it has a very sort of, it's a very, I don't know, it make, really makes you think about kind of what is really in that imagery and what is being portrayed there. I know a lot of people listening will actually want to go and look at your work. Do you hang it in your clinic? Because I can imagine it would sit quite well on, on the clinic walls. We're actually just in the process of putting a couple of my works up in clinic. Mm, I have to come and see. Yes, that would be lovely. <laughs> and, and for those of you who aren't coming into the clinic, who are listening, where can we see it? And what's your website address for the art particularly? So my art website domain name is stephwill.com. So I've got a kind of art name and a medicine name because I try to keep it a little bit separate. So that's S-T-E-F-W-I-L-L.com. And then on Instagram, it's Steph Art. Sorry, Steph Will Art is my Instagram handle. Steph that would Will be Art. Brilliant. I shall think we'll all go and take a look. Very interesting and very encouraging too, I think, for a lot of people, particularly midlife women listening. If you've got a dream that you haven't yet fulfilled, it's definitely never too late. Well, we are going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what we can all do to look after our skin. Also specifically about using retinols for skin aging, something I think is fascinating and I've used on my own skin. And also the psychological impact of having better skin, even in later life, how we can make improvements. So don't go away. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, welcome back. And Dr. Stephanie, we've been having the most fantastic conversation about practical help for some quite significant skin conditions. But I think probably a lot of us listening don't fortunately suffer from extreme skin problems, but just want to look after their skin better as we age. And for me, one of the ingredients that pops up time and time again that does actually, I think, merit a little bit of explanation are the retinols. Can you help unpack these a little bit and explain them? Yes, retinoids are certainly one of my favorite skincare ingredients as well. So the word retinoid means, um, it's a, it's a family of ingredients derived from the vitamin A molecule. And there are different family members that are used in over the counter skincare. And then there are also some available just on prescription topically. So for example, um, you might find retinol or retinal, which is also known as retinaldehyde in skincare. Very often there might be a retinol ester in skincare or as a newer kind of family member, a retinoic acid ester. So those are all very useful ingredients for the skin because they have a lot of benefits. They stimulate collagen and elastin in our skin. They help repair sun damage they also help to keep breakouts at bay. So that's a kind of a nice added benefit. And yeah, so that, so they're very, very useful ingredients, in fact. And I've heard they speed up cell turnover, which is one of the reasons why they might make the skin look sort of plumper and fresher. Yes, very Is that much. right? And, and if so, is there any downside to that? Some people have said, well, if they speed up cell turnover, is that a good thing? Could they potentially be speeding up the bad cells, maybe skin cancer cell turnover? Is there any risk to taking retinoids or using them on your skin? Uh, yes, I do turn uh, uh, um, increase the cell turnover and that's why your skin will look more fresh and more glowing, less dull. And they're not doing that in a way that induces cancerous cells. So there's no worry there. In fact, they do help to repair sun damage and we use them for sun damaged skin to improve that condition and to lower the risk of skin cancer. But of course, you have to be mindful when you use them, especially when you start to use them because they are a powerful ingredient group. So initially you want to taper them in slowly. So that means that during the first couple of weeks, you might just use it a couple of times per week on non-consecutive days. And then you go up to maybe every other day for another couple of weeks. And then depending on your skin sensitivity and the product you're using, you may or may not go to daily use. And generally, I would recommend evening use for retinoids. Is that because they can make the skin more sensitive to sunlight? So if you use them before bed, you've got time for your skin to absorb them and for them to work without any UV exposure? Yes, that's the main reason that they can make your skin a little bit more sensitive to sun. So we always say use it ideally in the evening for that reason. And also always combine with uh, some protection, which you would use in the morning. 
Yes. I remember the first time I was given a prescription strength retinol product and I was at a Spanish health spot doing a review and I didn't really understand the directions and I was given some to try and I thought, oh, excellent. So I just, you know, took a huge, great dollop of it uh, just as I normally would my moisturiser. Yeah, you can hear what's coming, can't you? Rubbed it all over my face and neck, went to bed, woke up in the morning. Oh, my goodness. I mean, my skin, it was bright red. It was peeling. I just thought, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And you know, I went back and saw the, the doctor and said, you know, what has happened? I've had a major reaction. And she said, well, you know, I managed to get the translation and she showed me the amount that I should have used. And it was like a small pea, you know, and I, I'd used like, a, you know, almost a palmful. So it is very much about I've heard this expression, the retinization of your skin, where you get your skin mm-hmm. used to it in tiny doses and then you build up. Is yes. that right? Yes, exactly. We call that retinization. And everybody has a different tolerance to retinoids as well. So <laughs> Mine's clearly not very high. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you had a little homemade chemical peel there. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, actually, I have to say, you know, joking aside, my skin after a couple of weeks did look very, very good. And I'm, you know, I I definitely have continued using much lighter amounts of retinol products over the time, over the years. Do you think that we can get benefit from over the counter retinol? Because you do see different concentrations that are listed on, I mean, frankly, you know, quite inexpensive skincare that you might find in a high street chemist, for example. Are they actually going to do any good? Or do you need to go to a prescription strength? They are definitely a good ingredient. They're obviously gentler than the prescription strengths ones, but ultimately they work on the same cell receptor. So they just have to be converted over several steps to be converted into the actual active ingredient, which is the retinoic acid that then docks onto that receptor in the cell. So the -the over-the-counter ones are gentler and also there are huge differences between different over-the-counter ones. So like, for example, the retinol and the retinaldehyde are stronger compared to the retinol esters, which are the gentlest ones that we have because the retinol esters have to be, um, they go through several conversion steps. So retinol esters converted first into retinol, then into retinaldehyde, then into the retinoic acid, which then works on the receptor. And of course, with every conversion, you will have, you know, a little loss of effect, I would say. So that's why they are much gentler, but it's a good starting point. And depending on the composition and concentration that your product has, they will definitely make a difference. And what age could you start using this sort of product? So generally, I always say from 30, everybody should be on a retinoid. Unless, of course, you've got either breakouts like acne, then you'd start earlier to combat the the acne. Or if you have grown up somewhere hot and you've got quite a lot of premature sun damage, then you might start earlier as well. But generally, from 30 is a good kind of rule of thumb to start. Wow. And all skin types, all skin colours, no difference really between no concerns, no contraindications? Definitely for all um, skin colours with regards to the skin type. So um, whether it's a kind of more dry, sensitive skin or more oily skin, you'll really have to choose the right product. So for more dry 
sensitive skin, you'd go maybe for a retinol ester at a lower concentration, also be very, very slow with your retinization process. Whereas if you have oily skin, you may be able to jump in with the retinol or retinaldehyde at a, at a maybe even higher concentration and won't have any issues compared to somebody with drier skin. But I have so far, I haven't seen anybody that I couldn't get to tolerate a retinoid of some sort, unless of course there was an, an allergy. But generally, if you adjust which one you're using, what it's formulated in, what concentration it is, what um, derivative it is, you will generally find one that suits your skin. That is really interesting advice. And is it ever too late? I'm thinking of people, my mother's generation, for example, which obviously this was never around then. If if we're in our 70s, 80s listening to this, is this something that we could actually think about trying? Yes, absolutely. No, it's never too late for retinoids. And as you, are, if you are uh, older, you will have more accumulated sun damage. So that's even more reason to use a retinoid. As we get older, our skin tends to become a little bit more dry and sensitive. So you might want to be a little bit more careful when you start. But generally, uh, any, any age is a good starting point. And it's even if you're in your, you know, seventies, it's not too late to start a retinoid or eighties. Even I had a patient I started in her eighties and, Obviously, you can't reverse the clock completely. That goes without saying, but you will still improve your skin and you will still get a degree of improvement. How very fascinating. I am certainly going to be having a conversation after this with my own mother. Now, you also talked earlier before the break, you just mentioned briefly in passing AHAs, alpha hydroxy acids, and polyhydroxy acids. These presumably are different from retinols. Do they function in a similar or different way? Do we use them instead of or as well as? They have certain effects that they share with the retinoids, like, for example, the acceleration in cell turnover, but they don't have some of the other effects. And the difference between AHAs and polyhydroxy acids is that the AHAs are smaller molecules, so they penetrate the skin quicker and they've got a stronger effect. However, most of my patients are not teenagers anymore. They're midlife. They've got more sensitive skin. So for that patient group, I really like the PHAs, the polyhydroxy acids, which are larger molecules. So they have a slower penetration. They've got a slower action and they are um, much more suitable for more sensitive skin for that reason. So that might be, for example, lactobionic acid or glucono. Lactone, they're two of the PHAs that I really like. Really interesting. And you actually founded a, a whole skincare brand, didn't you? Dello RX. Is that, yes. is that the name of it? Have I That's right. Dello that RX is, it's a, um, it's a niched skincare because I saw over the years all these patients with breakouts into their adult years and then they were getting to start maybe lines and wrinkles as well and they felt very frustrated because most anti-aging products would make their skin break out more. So that's why I started to formulate my own skincare with the help of a cosmetic chemist, of course. Um, and what have you used in that specifically to help? So, for example, in the retinoid products that will actually come out in October, it's a blend of four different retinoids. So it contains all four groups, basically the retinol, retinaldehyde, retinol ester, retinoic ester, 
Plus, um, there are other ingredients as well, anti-inflammatories, niacinamide, polyhydroxy acids. And another one of my in favorite ingredients for this group of patients is NAG, neoglucosamine, because it has both anti-aging and anti-breakout benefits. So this range is basically aimed at women who are not only looking for anti-aging, really high-grade anti-aging ingredients, but who also have that breakout prone skin that often flares up when they use other types of anti-aging products. That sounds like an incredibly complex and interesting formulation. You mentioned niacinamide, and I'm seeing this in more over-the-counter products too, niacinamide being a derivative of vitamin B3, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And it's it's also one of those ingredients that can be a really useful ingredient for breakout prone skin. And also helping with pigmentation, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so it has a whole range of different benefits. So for somebody with aging skin and breakout prone skin, it's kind of like a win-win situation. Mm. Do you think that we need to be really reassessing our skincare as we age. I know, I know many people say, well, I've always used this and it's, you know, a jar of over-the-counter, something from a chemist. You know, are there different milestones as we age where you might need to say, okay, I'm going to need to step this up or I'm going to need to add in a particular ingredient, you know, when I perhaps hit those decade milestones, you know, when we enter our 30s, 40s, 50s, are there different ingredients that we should perhaps be clocking in with? I think we definitely have to rethink our skincare as we go along. But there are certain ingredients that are always useful to have. And the three ones that I would always recommend is uh, an antioxidant in the morning. Uh, usually that's a serum. That you like vitamin put, C. Like vitamin C, vitamin E. There mm -hmm. are a lot of also plant-derived antioxidants on the market now. So it's often a mix of different antioxidants. And that's to protect your skin from not only the environment like sun and infrared irradiation from the sun, which is the heat irradiation from the sun that also ages our skin, but also our own cells have a cell metabolism that creates oxidative stress and free radicals. So an antioxidant is one of those staples that everybody should be using topically, whatever their age. And then of course we talked about the retinoids, which is especially from 30, a staple I would say. And the SPF in the morning as well, which I usually recommend an SPF 30 to 50 all year round. So those three are the kind of staples where I would always recommend. But then as you get older, you might adjust it uh, maybe in different ways. So you might go up with the concentration or the strengths of the retinoid. You definitely also have to reassess the base formulation because sometimes the, the base might be heavier and more lipid rich, and then there are lighter ones. So you want to, you want to think about that. But generally, I think there is a little bit of a tendency these days to overlayer your skincare, I feel. So there's so many ingredients, whether that's, I don't know, whatever gold dust to astral, whatever. <laughs> I very much think we should think about the evidence-based ingredients. And rather than jumping from one to the other, just really uh, use those evidence-based ingredients. And actually coming back to a question you asked earlier that I just realized I didn't answer is whether you can use AHAs 
and retinoids together. So I would generally recommend to cycle those um, because they can both be irritating. So it might not be tolerated to use them together. So you might want to use them on different days. But of course, that depends very much on the skin type again. So somebody with breakouts, Crohn skin might benefit from using both of the ingredients, whereas somebody who's maybe postmenopausal and very has very dry and very sensitive skin might not tolerate them both together. So then before we finish, what about something that's super low tech, you know, perhaps a natural plant oil, rosehip oil or a single oil that you could use maybe overnight, leave on your skin so that it can soak in and you wake up with a bit plumper in the morning. What do you think about that? I think it depends very much on the skin type. I'm personally, I'm not a huge fan of facial oils, but that's probably because I've worked a lot with breakout prone skin and I've seen um, for this type of skin, it's, it's not the right choice. And also there is a lot of skincare available these days, which have multifunctional ingredients that work in concert and support each other. So personally, I'm I'm not a huge fan of it, but if it makes somebody feel better or their skin feel better, unless they've breakouts, uh, why not? Why not? Well, it's been a fascinating journey through so many aspects of skincare, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening will have got help from that and will hopefully also share it for anybody they know who may need to have a listen. And I think the conclusion is that we just don't have to feel that we need to soldier through difficult skin with breakouts or rosacea or other skin conditions. We don't have to do it alone. There is help out there and there are also options that really work to make a difference. Yes. Seek help early. Don't think that you're alone in this. And it is all of these conditions are treatable conditions for sure. Well, that is very positive. Dr. Stephanie Williams, where can we find you for more information? So my clinic website is called udello.com. And that's E-U-D-E-L-O.com. And there's lots of information on what we do in our clinic. And I've also written a book called Great Not Done, which talks about all of the aspects we talked today about like oh, skincare. Oh, I love that. Look uh, great, not treatment. done. I should be diving into that one. <laughs> great. <laughs> So, and that, that goes through all the, the clinic treatments. Sorry, I interrupted you. Clinic treatments, skincare, lifestyle factors. So all of the things we touched on today and it's available on Amazon. Brilliant. Well, Dr. Stephanie Williams, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing your time and your expertise with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks to you for listening. And as always, you will find lots more information with links and resources, especially on skincare ingredients over on lizellewellbeing.com. There you can also sign up for the free weekly newsletter filled with plenty of tips for living well and lots of discount codes there. Also, lots on beauty, especially as you might expect. Well, don't forget for even more advice, research, articles and recipes, there is the bi-monthly magazine, Lizelle Wellbeing. It's no longer sold in shops, so you have to subscribe through the lizellewellbeing.com website where we will send it to you with free UK PMP. And you can either sign up for the year or simply ask for one single copy to be sent to you to see how you like it. And I hope you do. Until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. 
The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is a Fresh Air production, with thanks to my producers, Ellie Smith and Sarah Moore. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.